Morning. If I don't know you guys yet, I'm Jaron. Uh, I'm the pastoral intern here, the one and only so far. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, first I want to say thank you to Pastor David for letting me come and preach um, for our congregation today. That's kind of a risk. That's putting faith in me. So I'll try not to speak any heresy this morning. Uh, try and say something edifying for the church. Um, yeah. So my wife and I have had a really big week. Uh, if you don't know, we just had our third baby. Uh, yeah. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah. Monday night at 726. Uh, only an 11 hour labor, which for a woman, that's still horrible. But it's better than the 28 hour labor of our first baby. So yeah, been a bit of a busy week and uh, it's been fun. Not much sleep. So if I screw up a few times, I just ask that you have some grace for me ahead of time. Yeah. Um, so getting into it, uh, just a few fun facts about me. Uh, growing up, I actually used to be really, really overweight. Most of my life I was overweight, actually. Um, I was by 15 over 300 pounds. Um, and growing up, there are two things I really like to do that probably were mainly the cause of that. I liked eating food, and I loved playing video games. <laughs> I just uh, loved the instant satisfaction, gratification that food brought, and I wasn't good at sports like other kids, so video games was kind of a way for me to be a somebody, I guess. Uh, it didn't really make me secure, though. It didn't really help me with with uh, feeling complete. I was insecure over my weight. I felt like my identity was wrapped up in what other people thought about me. Um, but then when I was 15, I started telling myself something. I started saying, you are a skinny person trapped in a fat person's body. It then became my new mission in life to attain that identity, to become what I thought I already was. Uh, almost overnight, I stopped uh, eating junk food and playing video games. I started exercising, started eating a little healthier, drinking water. Um, I used all the money I had to buy a used Costco mountain bike, and I would ride 90 miles a week. Just go around Skagit County, have some really interesting stories, too. A lot of empty beer cans thrown at me from the side of the road. Believe it or not, Washington's not a really nice place to ride your bike, <laughs> at least in Cedar Woolley. But that's okay. I'm sure none of you did it. And if you did throw stuff at me, I forgive you. So, yeah. Uh, it wasn't easy at the time, though. But to persevere, I kept thinking and hoping it was worth the work and the pain. Uh, and within a year, I'd lost 130 pounds. And just in case you're wondering, after losing weight, I didn't, uh, I didn't become secure in my identity. I was really empty. It, I just became a skinnier, insecure person. But then at age 16, on a summer evening, um, at a youth retreat with a youth retreat with the dolls. Yeah, nice family. Um, on a summer evening, sitting on a sandy beach on Samish Island, I read Romans 6. I was part of their, their little curriculum they're doing. And that was the first time I'd read Romans. And here, starting in verse 5, going all the way through verse 11, this is what I read. 
For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In this passage, by God's grace, I found my true identity in Jesus Christ. That day I died to my old life and was made alive to God. This morning we get to learn about the Christian's journey, our journey, our goal, and our hope, and find that it's in Christ. Let's open our Bibles today to Philippians, uh, starting in chapter 3, verse 12. In verse 12, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the call, of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And if you're taking notes this, this morning, uh, this will be your fill-in-the-blank sentence for the day. Not being perfect, we strive towards the goal because we are Christ's, holding true to what we've attained and following godly examples knowing our citizenship is in heaven, where we will be made perfect in Christ. I'm a slow writer, so I'll just assume you guys are too and give you just a minute to fill that in. (laughs) We start verse 12 by Paul stating, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Paul's short remark is really important and helpful for us to understand. 
Looking back to verse 8 and 10 of chapter 3 helps to give us context. Starting in verse 8, and I'll just read all the way through uh, verse 11. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The two times Paul talks about knowing Christ in verse 8 and 10 is on a deep and intimate level. In verse 12, Paul is saying to us, I haven't yet reached a perfect union with Christ. I'm not as close to him and as much like him as I want to be. But in the second half of verse 12, we read, But I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul moves on to why he should be perfect, his identity in Christ. We press on towards perfect union with Christ because he has made us his. Then in verse 13 and 14, we read, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. First, he says in verse 13, I haven't arrived yet. But one thing he does, the singular focus of Paul, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I think a lot of us struggle with forgetting what lies behind, making us unable to strive forward. I want to talk uh, about how always looking back can harm us in our journey. And I don't mean we pretend we don't have a past, and I don't mean we never share testimony. We all come from somewhere. In the old book, The Pilgrim's Progress, on the first page, we find the main character. The character's name is Christian, who lives in a place called the City of Destruction. If you haven't guessed yet, this book is an analogy of a Christian's life. Now, when a man by the name Evangelist gives Christian a book, the book tells him the City of Destruction will be judged in fire and brimstone, and that to escape the judgment to come, he must reach the celestial city of the king. And so they begin. So the story begins. In our story, we all start on page one in the city of destruction. But the upward call of God in Christ Jesus draws us toward the celestial city of the king. And that's not on page one. I'll give you a few examples of Christians struggling to leave the past and how finding our identity in Christ turns us from our past our future. As I, read the, as I read these examples, see if you find yourself following these patterns. First, we might struggle with thinking about the good old days 
before we were Christians, when we could do whatever we wanted. Or you're the Christian always dwelling on the past, spiritual experiences, and victories. For the first, for the first uh, picture, if you find yourself often, often savoring the sins you are in chains to, and longing always to satisfy the lusts and the, des- the desires you gave yourself to, seeing those more precious than the life you're now called to. I want you to understand this. The sin you toy with, the sin that sounds so pleasing, so innocent, so fun and satisfying, is the very same poison that Adam drank when he disobeyed God in the garden. Sin is what damned all of humanity for eternity from the true source of joy and pleasure and satisfaction. Understand, if you're Christ's child, he has made you his. Real joy, lasting pleasure, happiness that only grows and grows with every experience, especially through suffering, is found in Christ alone. And for the next picture, if you're the Christian that often takes comfort knowing all the progress you've made, but doesn't feel a desire to keep progressing. You say, God's really changed me. You say, I'm a lot better than I was, and I'm content with that. I'll ask you this. Have you, in this life, already discovered all the riches of knowing Christ? Do you already know on an infinite level the love and power of an infinite Savior? Or have you become perfectly Christ-like in perfect obedience to the Father and wholly separate from the sinful nature that clings to every Christian? I don't think I am. (laughs) I know I'm not. Brothers and sisters, never be content with the distance that's between you and Christ. Never say, I'm done striving towards Him. Don't stop pursuing Him until the day you see Him face to face. Paul says to us, because Jesus has made me his, I won't stop until he's fully mine. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It's good to understand also that this is the call of the Father through the Son. I think a lot of times we have a wrong picture in our minds of an angry father and a merciful son. We need to understand that the father is rightly angry at the sin and the one committing the sin because it dishonors his holiness, his perfection. But the father, the father is the author, the king of mercy. And we see this by the father sending his only son. If we look at probably the most well-known verse in the Bible, you see this. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. The Father sent the Son. The Holy Spirit convinces us that we need the Son. You see the entire love of the Trinity But it starts with the Father loving you when you are still a sinner and sending His Son to save you. 
That's what, what we see going back to Philippians 3.14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul then gives us a mark of, two, of true spiritual maturity in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. This is in direct light of verse uh, 12 and 13, when Paul says, I'm not already perfect. I haven't arrived. Here in verse 15, Paul gives the mark. He says, a mature Christian won't say he's perfect, but the mature Christian will know his lack of perfection and will pursue continual, continual growth. We read the rest of verse 15. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will, will reveal that to you also. This is a promise. God says to us through the Apostle's pen that those of you who are immature in your thinking and living will be shown your need. Your need to leave your old, old lives behind because Christ has made you his and pursue him with every ounce of your life. But this life isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. And there are challenges we face every single day from our sinful desires and situations that come up. And we know we have an adversary, the devil. All those things try to stop us from running. That's why Paul says to us, only let us hold true to what we have attained. This is a call to persevere, a call to hold what you know to be true about God and about your identity in Him preciously close to your heart. Um, three years ago, uh, this September 14th, will be the, will be the, was the death of my dad. It's almost been three years now. Um, I, I couldn't, I can't express to you fully how important it is to have have what you know about God close. Um, my dad was probably the most amazing dad you could pr- ever ask for. Um, honestly, I'm, I'm not just saying that. I couldn't think of a better dad, better father figure growing up. And then after I got married, a better supporter, a better friend, better counselor. Um, he in a building project that he was doing, building his, his own house for my family, um, was overwhelmed with the work. It was a big house. It used most of his retirement. Um, the stress of it made him not sleep at night. Um, and doctors not knowing the right things to do, but trying, gave him lots of uh, sleep medication, which led to needing antidepressants. Um, and we found out later that he most likely had a, a mental condition on top of that, which uh, reacted, reacted with manic behavior. So um, I have siblings in the room, too, and they can tell you that this is the most painful experience of our lives, watching our dad, who is kind of like that cornerstone of your family, um, the guy you could call in the middle of the night, and he'd listen to you, talk to you. Um, to watch him within months go from that strong figure to someone you didn't recognize, uh, paranoid and in pain. Um, 
And so on, on uh, September 14th, he, he took his own life. And, and something I learned through that, instantly, that God was good. Um, the, the moment all his siblings were in the room telling me and my wife, uh, they invited us over to their house, and they, they told us that your dad has taken his own life. Um, instantly, I told them, don't for a second say God is not good. He is good. And I was given peace by that. Uh, other family members would say, you know, well, why aren't you crying? Why aren't you mourning right now? And I said, I'm sad, I'm mourning. But God's good, and I have to hold on to that. And they say, yeah, but let it out. I said, no. I have to hold on to God being good and him being faithful and him loving me. And and mourning comes. I, I wasn't saying no to mourning. I cried. I still cry. Um, it's still painful. But I'm telling you, we have to hold on to what we know to be true about God and his faithfulness, his love for us, the attributes of God that work personally in our lives. Um, yeah, in the next verse, Paul shows us one of the greatest gifts we have in our walk, in our perseverance. Verse 17, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says to us, As I follow Christ, imitate me, and imitate those that imitate me. In the church, we are given the gift of godly men and women who follow Christ both in their talk and their walk. We should be paying attention. I've been so blessed to have godly examples in my life. I've been encouraged when I was unsure and confronted or and uh, and challenged challenged when I needed to, to keep pushing and comforted when I mourned. I count them no less than God's gifts. If you don't have any godly examples in your life, first I want to say I don't think you're really looking. Because I think there are many in this church right in front of you. Men and women whose lives show their love for Christ who stand under the authority of Scripture, who are always going first to God in prayer, whose faith is strong in the Lord during hard times. Look for some of these godly traits in the people you sit next to and invite them into your lives. And I can't press that hard enough. When I say God's gifts to me, literally... Two months after my dad's death, I became acquainted with a man who comforted me in my mourning and walked me through that, that path. And then I found another godly man who encouraged me in my insecurity and my unsureness. He, he encouraged me in my, with my identity in Christ. And then I've met, met more recently other godly men that spur me on, that push me and challenge me to grow me into a Christian man. It's absolutely essential that we find 
Christian community. That iron sharpens iron. We can't ignore that. The Christian walk isn't a solitary walk. It's community. And you who are farther along in your walk with Christ, when you see a younger Christian struggling in their walk, use what gifts you've been given to help them grow and persevere. The church isn't a club. We're a family. And as a family of believers, we get to strive towards heaven together because of the gospel we've been called to. God has given us tools to persevere by holding true to what we've attained and following godly examples. After Paul invites us to hold true, we see the, con- the contrast of those who walk contrary to Christ. In verse 18 and 19, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Why does Paul cry for the enemies of Christ? And understand, every single human being that does not trust in Christ alone for their salvation is under this title, enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul cries because their end is eternal destruction. Eternal destruction. Without Christ, your highest cause is your cravings. The farther we go from a creator, the more we look like animals. Without Christ, the highest our hope can rise is on earthly things. The here and now. There's no hope. There's no joy, no comfort, just death and then judgment. If this is you this morning, I want you to know this isn't a game. It's eternity, and it's your eternity. If you ask, where can I turn to save my soul? I'll tell you, look to heaven. Look to the hope of every Christian. Look to Jesus Christ. Verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, using the term citizen for the Christians in Philippi, would have, would have had important meaning. The city of Philippi was part of the Roman Empire. To be a citizen in a Roman city meant great hopes in their and in their um, great hope and their benefits and freedom. They had a lot to hope in. They had a lot to rest in, a lot to trust in. Paul says, your home is in heaven, and your hope is a Savior who calls you to it. As Americans, we love our home. We love our freedom. We love our benefits. And we're thankful for those who've died uh, to secure that for us. We don't ignore that. But we have to remember, we are passers-by who are called, who are given time in this great country to call and encourage as many as we can to hope in a Savior, in a country that doesn't die. Now we see that our citizenship is in heaven and our hope is in the return of Christ Jesus. Let's read verse 20 through 21 now. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body 
by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is the goal of our identity. This is what we all strive for. This is what we persevere towards together. This is our hope. To one day be resurrected by our Christ, our King, with a new body, free of weakness, free of lust, free of hatred, free of sadness, free of sin, and be totally free to love, free to worship, free to be satisfied in our Lord's presence, free of the shame and the guilt that clings to our memories, free to know our Savior face to face. And how do we know this will happen? The Good Shepherd says, this is my promise to my sheep. By the same power, I've put all things in submission to me. The same power, I rule all things is the same power it used to effectively make you perfectly mine. This is our hope. In chapter 4, verse 1, Paul gives the Philippians one last encouragement. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. This is my prayer for all of you this morning. Let's pray.